Hey there, Sam. Hey, Nathan. What's down? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Threw mean. me for a loop there. <laughs> I was expecting something different, maybe a what's up, but you got me. What's up is up. Um, up is up, down is down, down is up, up is down. That's what the story is today. Indeed. I am. Uh, just installed a new update to Polymail. I'm sure we've mentioned cool. Polymail once or twice. However, they just launched a complete rewrite of their Mac OS interface for email. And so I'm running the beta of that right now, just playing around, seeing what's up. That's cool. And it's, uh, um, can we talk really quickly about the rise in mini subscription services? Um, I've just been thinking about this a lot. Every single thing out there right now is like a little mini subscription. Six bucks here, seven bucks there, yeah. every month. Um, Polymail is no, no different. So, and some of them, like the more advanced ones, like Polymail have some different tiers Mm -hmm. and some of them are just like better touch tool or or actually no better touch tools on that subscription. Um, correct. But, uh, a lot of them are just here. This is what we're offering. Six bucks a month instead of $60 or one or 99 cents or whatever. Yes. Movie pass. Same deal. Yes. Interesting. Your thoughts. Uh, I actually love it for certain things and I hate yeah. it for others. Uh, yeah. I, I think, especially with something like email I, and, and a lot of apps that I use, I, I think it's fantastic that they have a business model in place because, um, I don't know, a dozen of some of my all-time favorite apps that I used to use for like critical components of how I operate like mailbox mm-hmm. before it was acquired by Dropbox and uh, lots of other just kind of um, productivity apps. They, when, when they're just free, they get acquired or bought out and it just disappears. So it, it's I'm gone. totally yeah. fine paying for something that I want to be around for more than a couple years. Uh, you have to. And I actually blame Apple um, for the current state of this uh, in a, for a lot of reasons because they, you know, essentially tried to commoditize all apps in the store with like them being a dollar or them being zero, uh, you know, just free and apps. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the, the thing like, okay, we're just going to push all this out and people can figure out how to make money from it later. But now you, people refuse to pay $2 a month for an app that they may use seven hours a day. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's just strange. I mean, there's a lot of like weird psychological things that play into it, especially, I mean, just think about, let's, let's talk about games. Cause I was listening to somebody talk about this recently, right? People <laughs> okay. will pay like 20 bucks a week for candy crush, like in-game purchases like boosts for crap that i've never played candy crush but that's like the the average if you break out their uh their revenue earned versus downloads and all this uh okay like imagine that 20 bucks a week 20 bucks a month something like that for for a game but refuse to pay 60 dollars up front for a single purchase of um an, an actual console game 
or, sure. or be really upset that it's so expensive. But over the course sure. of like a month and a half of playing Candy Crush, they've they've spent more than what oh, yeah, it they cost to blow buy, right through to that. buy Zelda or something. And it's just really really strange to me. Um, but it is it is interesting that so many things. I, I'm I'm mostly annoyed about the the TV services. I guess it sort of makes sense. But I think this whole cable cutting. Uh, you know, people don't want to pay for, for TV from their cable provider. Uh, if, you, if you really think about it, I, I think we were getting a pretty good deal if you average out the number of hours watched sure. of cable TV versus what it actually cost you. Uh, because once you add up, I know I, I pay more now for internet plus all oh, of yeah. these Netflix, Hulu, HBO. I pay more than what I paid for uh, cable. And I'm thankful that I don't have commercials to deal with, but it, it certainly was a better deal overall to just pay for cable back in the day. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, stuff's, stuff's adding up. So I like it for some things. It's I hate it for others. Productivity apps and, and things that I really rely on and, and want to, to know that are there no matter what, I'm happy to pay for it. Other things like disposable entertainment and stuff, I think it's kind of silly. I would rather just pay a flat fee and then only pay for upgrades if I, if I still care to use it or consume it do you have movie pass or do you have an opinion on that specifically i don't have movie pass i'm i don't know i i get a lot of heat from people that i talk to about this because i refuse to get it because i don't agree with it in principle uh which is that can you explain it exactly i i i think i have a rough sense what is it like 10 bucks a month and you get five movies that you can go to something like this i don't know at, well, at the time that everybody was trying to argue with me, it was a little different. But basically, you pay, it was $10 a month. You can see any movie with a couple of little um, catches in there. I don't think you could see a movie on opening day or something like that. Um, and you couldn't see, I, I want to say you couldn't see a movie more than once with it. You have this to scan says, a card okay. when you go in. And is it um, any theater? I believe that it's almost any theater. That's crazy. So, oh, and the, well, the reason is, and so I'm like, be, this, this is too good to be true. Everyone's like, oh, go, go get movie pass. It's so awesome. You can see any movie for 10 bucks. You just go in. And I, and I'm thinking to myself, this, there's got, what's the catch? How is this possible? And the way that it's possible is that MoviePass is hemorrhaging money because they are subsidizing that each and every ticket that you, each and every show that you go to, they buy the ticket for, and they only make ten bucks per month so, from from you. So they're just hemorrhaging money. So they're just trying to figure out. They're just trying to you know create the concentration of customers and then. And then roll something right. out to then be profitable. I don't, yeah, that that is the only thing that I can think of. And then, although I've recently kind of thought, oh well, maybe it's kind of cool because what it's effectively doing is getting people into movies and see into movie theater seats of movies that they wouldn't necessarily have seen. You know, if they had to buy yeah. a ticket for it, like indie movies or I wonder if they're thinking over movies. time they'll become more profitable because people will be less and less excited. So you'll be having people pay ten dollars a month, having never used it for that month. 
So it's just Poss- free money for possibly uh, for movie pass at that point. But possibly, although I doubt, I doubt you could rely on that over time. What I do think that they're definitely poising for is something similar to Netflix, where they buy a movie hmm. and they are showing it in theaters all over the place and they're making money off of that directly. So for instance, they go to Sundance, they see a movie that movie pass sees a movie that they like, they buy the rights to the show, the movie, or I guess produce it or whatever. And then it goes into theaters and it's a movie pass movie in theaters, similar Uh, to the way that a Netflix movie is on your TV. Yeah. So, and in that way, they become this massive theater mogul thing over time, which maybe is what they're trying to do. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this is uh, kind of neat. I might, I might have to consider this. I go to an awful lot of movies. Yeah. And I Me just uh, basically am, am starting to have this resistance in my head of like, okay, I don't want. I just don't want to sign up for something else that's. 10 bucks a month. Right. Let me let me tell you a story I experienced yesterday that really okay. pissed me off. Oh, okay. Check out this shisty <laughs> bull crap. So So, I'm paying 3 bucks a month for a service called Rebrandly. Really, I really yes. love it. It essentially allows you to uh, rebrand your really long, complicated Dropbox links or whatever links that you want to be your I own like URL. So instead of having bit.ily or some weird branded short link conversion, you can have your own. So I have like samherd.link slash whatever, and I can convert any huge long link to that nice branded uh, link. Now, when I signed up for Rebrandly, literally um, like exactly a year ago, they were like, oh, partner with, uh, partner with ClickMeter.com to, to track analytics of your links. I was like, oh, that sounds great. ClickMeter uh, wedges themselves in between. So when you create a Rebrandly link, it actually creates another link to ClickMeter as a middleman. And then ClickMeter makes the connection between them, my rebranded oh. link, and the really long one. And then ClickMeter tracks the analytics between all this. So I can see okay. you know, the stats of Click clicks the time of day and the volume and all that kind of stuff it's like okay this is cool so they they have a free tier and i was using the free tier the api was hooked in to my rebrandly account everything was working fine uh yesterday i woke up to every single one of my links being broken and i tried to (gasps) tried to log into click meter it's like what's going on here like account suspended so i emailed their support i was like what's going on here and they're like i don't know we have to look into it so two hours later my account is re remade and and working all my all my links are back still nothing is working it's like oh i probably just need to rehook my account into rebrandly and i go to my account settings and boom there's new pricing oh. so the free minimum package no longer works at all if you're using their api to, to hook into a third-party service like rebrandly so only the thirty dollars okay. a month package gives me full access to essentially use rebrandly again so i had 85 links now that i had to manually go through and copy the full you know ugly link and paste it into my rebrandly account but rebrandly doesn't just let you edit your link you actually have to delete the entire connection in rebrandly and create it anew so i had to spend basically two hours yesterday going through and removing click meter as the middleman because 
Maybe it's oh, just a coincidence, no. but exactly a year after I was using the service, they, they pulled this switch, and now I no longer get free access to uh, use them. And the free tier only lets you track up to like you know a certain number of analytics, so that was the catch. Like You could track okay. 2,000 links. I was like, well, that's fine. I, I don't have that much traffic going through a lot of these. That's, that just gives me a sense of where the spikes are, and you know if I run out of... Uh, ability to do that halfway through every month that's fine with me but no sure they just removed the complete ability to do the uh the api unless you're paying 30 dollars a month exactly a year after you sign up and i imagine a lot of companies have a lot more links than that after a year and are just willing to pay the money versus having to copy and paste over hundreds of links and uh yeah it's just like uh uh-uh fuck you guys i refuse to pay now the 30 dollars for something i halfway even use yeah so be careful there and i sort of am not too happy with uh, rebrandly because though it's a different company they were very like yeah here use use click meter they're they're gonna be great for tracking responsibility too it's totally free unless you you know really have a lot of traffic and blah 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 uh oh yeah they could they could lock that down at any time, and there's no way to edit your rebrandly rebranded uh, links unless you delete them completely and add them again. Ah, it was a yeah. Sorry, this is a huge tangent, but be careful. <laughs> again, anything that is is coming in for free to you, like uh, especially a productivity like business enhancement type of thing, uh, be very very cautious because it could disappear at any day because the company could fold or get acquired. Or, yeah, they'll, they'll hoodwink you into having to pay for it by holding you hostage because they have all your data. Uh, similar to what's happening sort of with ShootCue. Uh, you know, they have been going through a very slow rebranding of their entire portal for years now. And, my, you know, I the data... I really know the, why it's taking so long. Well, it is really tricky, and it does need to be right because this is people's entire, like, business yeah. livelihood. It's a lot of really important so. data, but they give you zero access to do anything with the data yourself if you ever wanted to switch to something else. You'd have to manually port all your client contacts and, Ugh, e- and contracts and workflows, and it would just be... You would literally... You have to start over from scratch for the most yeah. part or run two, two systems side by side. That's what I had to do when I switched for, to Tave. Yeah. yeah. And... You know, ShootQ was a company I pay quite a lot of money for. So it, it can happen at any time, no matter what. That's the danger with all these small business software companies. It, it's, it's scary. And, you know, it hasn't happened yet. But imagine a smug mug or a shoot proof or a pick time being like, sorry, guys, we just got acquired by Apple and we're going to be shutting down or, you know, right. or whatever the case. Like, it's, it's scary when you think the real term, long term implications of these. These services, thankfully, I think the ones that do charge do make good money. As long as they're well managed yeah. and run as a business, you're probably fine. But did you ever use Mailbox, that the the email app? Very briefly, I yeah. did. Yes, before they got acquired and, by Dropbox, that yep. just bought them for their talent. And Dropbox let the app die. Yeah, Mailbox was amazing. Oh, <laughs> it was it was fantastic. It took me years to find Polymail and, and have something even close to equivalent. Yeah. I- I do like, I think that overall, I like the subscription idea as long as it's reasonable because, yeah, it, it keeps those companies alive and kicking and bringing in guaranteed-ish amount of money per month so they can you know keep the doors open. 
The other um, thing I'm noticing though is the slow this this creep effect of you know Amazon Prime is now like 130 a year instead of sure. 90 or whatever it used to be, and uh, Netflix is now like 13 a month instead of mm-hmm. used to be eight or something. <laughs> like it's this well, and then going back creep. to movies, I mean, back in my day, yeah. movies were 10 bucks, and now they're oh, I uh, went I went to uh, a 20 bucks. And I was, this is actually kind of cool. Uh, AMC is launching a line of Alamo Drafthouse competitors, I, I, I guess, oh, cool. called AMC Dine-In. And it's the exact same oh, you concept. You order food. Yeah, there's one near yeah. me, actually. Yeah. And uh, it was like 20 bucks just to yeah. see the movie. And then you sit down, and you're looking at the menu. First of all, it's not nearly as well uh, structured as Alma Draft House, like the people, there are no cards to to write on. The people actually have to you have to talk to them to place your order, and movies are loud, so you're yelling, and you may be in the middle of yelling something when suddenly it's not loud anymore, <laughs> and you're just yelling. And uh, and the the seats are on the same level as where the servers stand, so they walk in front of you a lot easier. Yep. Blocking versus the Alma Draft House, at least the one I've been to, where you know they're they're offset they're lowered by a foot or two yeah and they have cards it's anyway was not impressed with the experience and the the menu it took me forever to find the tiny little section of like (laughs) here's normal movie popcorn and normal movie candy it was the very last page at the very very bottom of the page like movie classics no pictures of the items they were heavily emphasizing like Buy 17 cheeseburgers and, and make sure you get the, the triple stack version of just yeah. excessive amounts of, of food, which is fine. But like, I want emphasis on movie Clearly. food. I, I'm fine you know, if people want to eat a meal. That's great. That's what it's here for. But like, I don't want to spend $40 on food after already spending 20 bucks on a movie. I want to spend yeah, it's $10 on it's clearly a cash grab, too. Yeah. yeah. It's so clearly a cash grab. Which is why I really like Alamo Drafthouse because in addition to the perks of being able to get a beer and get some food during a movie, first of all, they're absolutely committed to the quality of the experience. So the sound in Alamo Drafthouse especially is second to none. Uh, I will say the sound in the AMC Dine-In was also very good. Like, oh, that's cool. I, I was feeling like they may have even have uh, subwoofer rumbles, uh, rumblers built into the chairs because it oh, was really? so cool, visceral, and like you felt that, that low end. It was crazy. Uh, what so about that, the that, picture? Uh, it was fine. It, I was seeing a 3D movie, so I don't really okay. love how dark those movies are. And my, yeah. M- yeah, I just, I don't like looking through crappy 3D glasses. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know about the picture. It was fine. It was a 3D movie, but... So, yeah. okay. Well, we can we can move on uh, to our <laughs> our main topic. I'm, I just realized we're like way off track. Um, so, hey, did you know that Junebug just put out their 2018 best of the best engagement I, photos? I, I did not winners? actually know that until you mentioned it yesterday, and that now, as you as you say that, has me thinking like, huh. Wonder what is changing in the in the world of photography that I Yo. was able to not realize that the best of the best, <laughs> which used to be something that was like shoved down your throat, uh, I guess mostly through Facebook posts about it, which I'm on far far less than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the best of the best engagement photos are out now. Did they do 
I guess, do they do the engagement photos in the middle of the year and they do the wedding photos January? Is that how that works now? Because hmm. uh, it seems possibly. like a weird time for that to be coming out in May. Possibly. I think I, I think I remember that it's from April to April is the entry requirements. Um, so any, so April 2017 uh, all the way through April 2018, you're able to submit photos for. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Well, I was actually kind of nice, nicely surprised to know that I, it had been out and I didn't even realize it because, uh, yeah, I have an opinion on awards. I think we've even had podcasts about awards and, and how they're structured and how it's generally kind of weird. But uh, let's let's go to it. Let's pull it up together. Let's, let's pull it up together. Let's see let's see what happens. Okay, Junebug dot com, Junebugweddings dot com, Junebugweddings, and then sort of okay. sort of a crazy overwhelming homepage here. Got a lot to look at here. Eight uh, tips for nailing your engagement photos. Okay. Fo- oh, are. photo contests. Wait, I want to look at this article. Let's see. What do we got? Wear something you're comfortable in. What Steam is this you're looking I, at? The eight tips for uh, nailing your engagement photos. Oh, got it. Well, wear something you're comfortable in. Steam or iron your outfits. Consider professional hair. Make a day out of it. Um, yeah, if a day is an hour and a half. Set the scene. Um... Uh, set the scene. Make a day out of it. That's interesting. Location is everything. That's funny. I don't think location is everything at all, but whatever. Uh, schedule your session around the sun. That's smart. Good hire, idea. Hire a professional photographer. Hey, all right. I like that kiss. one. That's, that's funny. Um, yeah, so all good some, advice. Some uh, good advice in there. Pretty, pretty well. Okay, so best of the best of engagement photos. Boom. All right. So we're opening with one that's clearly done in the middle of the night, in the middle of... A uh, desert way galaxy <laughs> desert. Yes. Now I'm going to do one of my favorite things to do. I'm going to I'm going to download this this image. Uh, whenever I see a photo, not whenever, but if I'm really bored, uh, whenever I see a photo with a lot of black shadows, uh, especially silhouettes and things, or, or special effects, I like just popping it in uh, Photoshop and then adding a layer of uh, brightness and then boosting that layer just just to inspect what's going on in the darkest of dark shadows there to see okay see if there's any weird pixelation or uh, potential photoshopping occurring <laughs> okay <laughs> uh this one clipped clipped a lot of the data it's a low low enough resolution file i can't actually see any shadow detail uh it's an impressive photo but i'm curious how that reflection if it's if it's real or not but it looks looks fantastic looks Pre- great pretty crisp. Yeah, really really nice photo there that's interesting. um i am curious how they did a, a moving silhouette and still had a long enough shutter to to grab the milky way like that it's really fascinating that's kind of a cool concept. Wonder, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really, really nice shot. Cause, all right. So moving on, we have a nice little uh, hipster couple in uh, Indiana Jones hat kissing. Great framing, great colors, decent framing, and you know the the foot is intercepting with all kinds of lines in a way that's sort of weird, but it's balanced nicely. That's I, true. I just don't like the way her her foot kicking is is kind of. Next one, meh. So, yeah, okay. 
nice close-up photo. I like this. Um, I like this one. Uh, after it, the one in Venice. That's kind of sweet. Yeah, that's cute. The one after uh, it is cute because of the dog. Uh, yeah, like like the dog in there. You know, I have just recently the last three engagement sessions or two engagement sessions, including the next one that I'm doing on Monday. They all want their dog in it. I don't know what's going on. Is it yeah, something I did? Yeah, I have one next week as well. Something that has a dog I said happening. There's probably some article somewhere about something that people are just yeah. Maybe that's what it is because seriously, all three a three in a row. Just be like, hey, and we have our dog. Yeah. Um, like, okay, that's fine, great. Bring the dog. It has not gotten in the way at all. In fact, I've gotten some cool photos, but it's just interesting. So let's see. We have another. We have a double exposure, which is kind of kind of neat. I like it. It's but a good one. Like immediately after that, uh, another dog, which is fine. And then immediately after that, we have another close up black and white of people like being intimate, which we've already yeah. seen once before. We have an impossibly good looking couple. I'm also seeing a, uh, a quite a lot of tattoos happening. So I guess yeah. that's a, every a single couple has had a tattoo so far. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, almost every that that's visible. We've got, we've got a decent, I was a decent color on this photo. Um, but, uh, kind of, kind of getting that yellow vibe. Get some more dogs in the next one, as well as the silhouette that looks similar to that yeah. opening shot. Seems in uh, general, yeah, color-wise, we're we're seeing a lot of real deep, rich uh, yellow, and not necessarily good yellow, or like really heavily green tinted, like greenish yellow. I guess that's been around for quite a while now, but it it has, and there's there's not necessarily anything wrong with it. You just have to make sure that it's what you want to do. Yes. Um, okay, moving on. So this one, I I particularly like this next one, which is the one of which, a double which, rainbow. Which number? Oh, the double rainbow, right. Yeah, it's and, a very Gabe McClintock vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Looks like Iceland or Scotland or something. They're wearing wedding clothes. So I, I assume that means that this is a session day after, day before, or something. Not does that count as an engagement photo? No, I don't believe that it does. So that's weird. Um, I I I really love the framing of this. I I I personally just this is, is a nitpick, but I would just have posed them versus having them walk. Yeah, I don't, I don't like where the horizon is intercepting with their hands. Like if the photographer yeah. had gone maybe a couple feet lower. Or a couple, little lower. Maybe mm-hmm. higher just to like kind of frame them more evenly in that mountain peak. Yeah. That would kind of neat. But, it's, really, it's really a great shot, and they should be proud of it. But I also, I, there's a couple of things yeah, I could have done differently. Also, also, I would have added a little more color. It's also not an engagement session. So it's <laughs> a great shot. But Next, we've got a black and white intimate photo i'm not 100 percent sure what's happening it's cute yeah i like it yeah let's see but that's you know okay so we don't have to go and critique every single photo the 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 thing that i just kind of want to we can keep going through if you see one you want to talk about but the thing that i find really interesting i've judged a lot of these and the way that decisions are made in the voting process is almost always completely ridiculous and like not 
a thought out process that is fair to anyone. Generally, you're given, okay, a group of people, say four or five photographers, you give them 3,000 photos or a couple thousand photos, or you give them even a a pre-curated group of a hundred photos. And almost always, either the first half, the photographers are very, very critical of, and then the second half, they are much more lenient, or it's reversed. And they start very, very lenient, and then as the judging process gets in the groove, they, they, they get very critical toward the end once they their eye is really dialed in and what to look for. And so the the method of voting is almost always not fair because what should mm. really happen is a completely randomized uh, uh, series of multiple voting instances with these same photos across a course of days. So you have a randomized sure. presentation of the photos, everybody votes, and then a couple days later, it's re-randomized, everybody votes again. And then a couple days later, and, and actually have to do that maybe at least three, uh, maybe four or five times before the consistently good and totally impartial results kind of surface to the top a bit clearer. I think that would be cool. Yeah, something like that. But there's, nobody has time for that because nobody being judged is, is usually paid for this. Yeah, it would just take too much work, I, I would imagine, for a lot of these. And I don't know what the judging process for this place is like, but I know every time I've ever judged one of these, it's hilarious mm-hmm. how, uh, you, if you're just slightly self-aware about the process, it's hilarious how ridiculous and unfair it is to some images versus others and how critical people are toward the end of the process generally versus the beginning. These are great photos. I mean, they're all very different. A lot of nice variety in terms of uh, diversity of uh, skin tone and and things. Uh, But a lot of these people are wearing wedding dresses. Like, you know, if they've already been married... Uh, is that an engagement session? Like, should an engagement session require this being the first time that they are having photos together? Because that's generally what I'm dealing with, and it's usually sure. a lot harder to work with somebody who's never been photographed before together. Mm-hmm. But if they've already had a wedding day, and you've had photos with them on the wedding day, is it really fair to call it an engagement session? Like, uh, I feel like the, the the header of this being best of the best engagement photos sets up like a, a set of circumstances and, and um, conditions that you should be having to deal with to, to have it fall under that category. Right. And if it's and somebody in a wedding dress, you know, the day after their wedding, that's a very different set of circumstances than having met a couple for the first time or a second time a year before their wedding and like getting them comfortable. Like you're just dealing with a completely different set of variables. Absolutely. I'm, Another thing that I'm noticing with these photos, granted, I'm in a very isolated area that is a city. Uh, On the East Coast, it's not super beautiful landscape everywhere. But something I am noticing that's pretty consistent across all of these is a lot of mountains, a lot of huge, gorgeous mountain ranges, places that frankly i'm pretty sure i would need a helicopter to get to <laughs> <I know. laughs> where and in okay, fact there so actually what, and i just came across one company? there is a photograph of a couple in a helicopter that's amazing and so i i think that's that's great and these are amazing images i i really i really like a lot of these but what what do i have to do to get an award-winning 
engagement now, photo? Do well, I they, have to yeah. get a charter plane? They did to go balance to Alaska? it pretty well. There's some, there's some, you know, just pretty close up. Could have been anywhere. It's just a nice composition and moment. It's a bunch of people standing in front of uh, bicycles sure. in the middle of a city. There's somebody kissing in like literally a. Uh, shopping like Kmart or something. Sure. Uh, so they're trying to balance it, but I agree. I'm I'm pretty burnt out with just insanely crazy beautiful locations. Like that's just been something that I feel like is peaked, but just refuses to to go on. From it's like there's more to amazing photos and than having hiked an hour or two up a mountain and I want to see more of that. I want to see people move away. Sure. From, from this insanity. It's like, yeah, there is there. Yeah. That being Um, said, you know, uh, but the internet has has neutralized, uh, a lot, including geography and, and many, maybe a lot of these photographers, this is what they see when they walk out in their backyard. I mean, so that's just what they use. Oh, absolutely. Totally. But, I know and I've seen a, a, a couple of these are are obviously Pacific Northwest. And if you live in the Pacific Northwest, you're a stone's throw from any of these shots. And so that's right. that's one thing to think about. Now, I think it's important to think about it as a photographer, as a, somebody who wants to be maybe full-time or make a lot of money from this. Does that actually, is that a smart decision to utilize so much of your, your work and, and your clearly uh anybody that submitted this uh, to the competition thinks that this is their best work or their favorite work is that an important or uh smart thing to to lean on to leverage because it is so beautiful and i don't want to say easy but it is generally uh when you're shooting in a in a scene like this where everybody all the other photographers also have access to these scenes like you need sure. to be looking at one or two layers beyond that in terms of depth of, of what, what can you be doing differently? Exactly. And yeah, if your stones throw away from all this stuff, like perhaps find a completely different way of, of approaching it, which I'm not really seeing in a lot of these, uh, or, um, don't, <laughs> don't use it. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm not seeing a, a completely amazingly new perspective or revolutionary way of photographing a couple, you know, attractive no. couple hanging out in a field or on a car or in a hammock. It's just, yeah, there, there are some, there are some really great emotions going on in a lot of these though. I, I am, I am really liking, again, I'm really liking what I'm seeing. I like the camel um, shot. Cause I'm the a, camel's I'm a cool. fan of camels. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's great. Uh, some nice movement in that in that very last shot, which might be a Brenizer. I'm not sure, but it's a it's definitely a great photo. This is 51. Okay, let me mm-hmm. pull the last shot of the day. And I don't uh, like this gallery interface. Oh yeah, I w- maybe it is a Brenizer. I, I cool. wonder. It's very shallow depth of field there. It's pretty great. I'm. I don't know. I guess I'm wondering if if a lot of these photographers are travel or destination photographers. For instance, I I know that in in my area in Richmond, they yeah, almost all the photographers that are here advertise themselves as destination photographers and include travel for free and it's one of those like things that. like I don't like 
it's one of those things, and I have a, a keynote lecture literally about how the word storytelling is, is pretty meaningless now because everybody overused it and it's just a given. Like, I, I, I think we've reached a point where it, it is safe to assume that if you are somebody who finds a photographer and you live in a different state or country, like, yeah, that, that photographer is probably willing to travel if you're, oh, yeah. if you're willing to. Like, you don't have to put that in your bio as something that's important or uh, clearly photographers are willing to travel. Every single photographer. Right. I, I would love, actually, I, I thought about the other day putting like non-destination wedding photographer. Yeah, that would thing. be really funny. But I do like I to occasionally travel for weddings. Travel. So, yeah, but I just thought it'd be funny. It, it maybe make somebody chuckle in a way that would make me uh, stick out in their mind. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I do wish that I could somehow occasionally get a peek into clients perspectives on all of this and what a person who's completely removed from the industry when they see photos like this i get, i'm sure they're very impressed like we are with a lot of these but i wonder yeah. if they think to themselves oh well we don't have a place like that here in virginia so i'm not going to consider that photographer or if they're like wow that photographer does amazing work we need to hire them like you know, if you yeah. have a Richmond if destination just, wedding photographer sure. who has an award-winning photo in a collection on Junebug and it's taken in Seattle, I wonder if that actually helps or hurts their ultimate bread and butter day-to-day clients that live in Richmond. I wonder too. I don't know. I mean, I've been able to find some really pretty impressive vistas even in in Richmond. I think if if what yes. you're going for is this beautiful landscape look Shenandoah is not too bad but then should you brand yourself as a destination wedding photographer like shouldn't you just not have that so that people assume that you're finding all this locally unless you say otherwise you know I I just think when it comes down to it nobody needs to be putting like willing to travel destination wedding photographer like of course you are everyone is unless it is unless it, it is your only business if you are a destination right. wedding photographer you don't have a home you will not shoot in your own hometown <laughs> and uh and you are will willing to travel local yeah which and i know i know pl- a, a number of photographers that that are that basically and right. they and that's awesome they they're always they somehow are always in fiji they don't have kids. They don't have families. They live by themselves. They're generally very young, and mm-hmm. uh, and it is a thing that is doable. But I, I, totally doable. I don't know that that's very realistic for a lot of people. And in in my opinion, I, I would assume that's more of a means to an end, and that end being really trying to travel a lot right now. What do you think about the concept of of working toward a portfolio? And then, and then you just have it and you just have a portfolio and you don't really tweak it or you, you tweak it by like 1% a year. And so for three or four years, you're working, working really hard and you're just like, boom, my portfolio is what I want. I love it. This is my portfolio. This speaks to exactly what I want. And even if I get hundreds of amazing photos from now on, like this is my portfolio and I'm only going to tweak it 1% a year. And, and, and so the images that you get, you actually use to book future clients for years down the line. And even though your style and the locations you shoot and all this may change, you're, you still lean on this, this portfolio to book 
uh, your work. What do you think about that? Do you think your portfolio should always be reflective of what you're currently uh, sort of representing, what you currently do now? Or should your portfolio be this this thing, this that static its own thing. thing that you leverage to book stuff no matter where or how you're shooting at this moment in time with this, hmm. where you live now, with the equipment you use now and your approach now? Or well, is that why it's important to have a portfolio and a blog? It's interesting. I don't know. Interesting. So a portfolio is, at least has traditionally been more static in general. The blog and your Instagram and everything else is what's changing and what's being updated constantly. That said, I don't personally want anyone to see photos past a certain time uh, in my career because up until, I don't know, a number of years ago, I, I, I wasn't getting really what I thought was enough portfolio-ready images, worthy images. And well, so now yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm at the point where I would, I, I would rather be adding to my portfolio and slowly removing those things out that aren't quite perfect, yeah. that, that don't quite represent where I, I am in my own understanding of photography now, which has certainly changed in the last five years. But that's what I mean. Ten I, years. What, what do you think? Do you think it's a reasonable approach to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be shooting destinations only or mostly destinations taking whatever I can get. And for three or four years, you're accumulating enough photos to make a portfolio that it's like, okay, now I've got my work, my body of work. I'm going to live wherever. Yep. And only book weddings, even if they're like local weddings only based on this portfolio of destination work, because this is what, this is what I have. Uh, And it's not so much maybe about the, the technical. Are you trying to say just destination style portfolios? I guess I'm just trying to kind of uh, dive into, to, I guess I'm trying to touch a lot of different points here between does a portfolio need to represent what you're, what you're shooting day to day or does it, or is it okay that it's, this is my work and in a certain snapshot period of time, yeah, you're going to hire me and the photos you get will never be in this portfolio because I don't care. Or I might recreate photos very similarly to how it looks in these portfolios or in my portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just, I'm just is, but is, isn't your Instagram part of your portfolio? I think no. I think an Instagram is is just the modern day blog. I think it's much more. Similar is to a, a blog, blog not part of your portfolio? No, I don't. I don't think that it is. That's why I mean, I got the portfolio was like these are my own personal favorite, absolutely best of the best photos. Blog sure. was going to have elements of that in it, but it's also, mm-hmm. uh, at least for most photographers, more of like a flow of the day storytelling narrative. Yeah. Collection of photos that, that may not be as strong, but you still think you need to give a little bit of window into the, the photos I, that you're going to deliver that aren't absolute perfection. I think looking at portfolios of some photographers that I follow and even my own portfolio just looking at it and over the course of years going back and seeing those same photos year after year there is something that says okay this is a sam hurd photo this is this is who nathan mitchell photography is and it's a photo that i shot back in 20 
13 of some random wedding in the middle so, of nowhere. Okay, so I think I've just crystallized my concept as you, okay. were, as you were making that clearer. So mm-hmm. with, desti- with people that lean very, very heavily on destination photos, can they really have um, a, a concrete portfolio? Because the destinations are always changing, and th- if they eventually one day stop traveling as much, which is probably is likely to happen, where they are mm-hmm. shooting more locally, is it is it worth having? Is that a work going to hold up? Exactly. Is it worth having a portfolio of pure mm-hmm. destination stuff, and and not pivoting toward what you're actually more likely to deliver? I don't know. Uh, it's mm-hmm. that, I guess that's sort of what I'm, I'm struggling with. It's an interesting question. Destination weddings in general, well, the other thing is if you are selling yourself correctly, then you should be basically, and I've learned this through a number of different methods, but you should really be molding your clients into what's best for you before they even book you, before you even shoot them they're they're starting to tailor what they're going to do on at their wedding what they're going to wear how they're going to pose what they're going to be thinking about into something that is closer to a Nathan Mitchell photography client yeah they or a see Sam themselves client. in your stuff and and so they gravitate toward you yeah i mean you're so, it's, it's working as a so filter. i think mm-hmm. As long as you are representing yourself, well, see, that's the thing. Are you able to produce that every time, no matter who's in front of your camera, no matter how big or small or what they are, can you, using your portfolio, make sure that they're going to get something like that? Yeah. And if you're only shooting destinations and then you stop shooting destinations, yeah, you... Your portfolio may not necessarily be representative of what of what they could get, but at the same time, you could move from yeah. from Denver to you know to DC, or you could move from DC to California, and nothing's going to look like California, right? And and do you need to uh, you know amass a, a completely new portfolio? I don't. Know, I'm looking through I my wonder. portfolio, and I've got a I've got a couple shots where I'm doing like the light painting things from like 2012. And I never do that anymore, ever. And it's like, huh, mm-hmm. I wonder if that is valuable being in my portfolio as a thing that like, I might come back to or I might have done and will maybe do again. Or if, right. I'm, if it's actually uh, not so good. Like, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of a portfolio being this static, mostly static snapshot in time. And as trends come and go, the portfolio sort of, if you... If, if you do a good enough job with it it's sort of uh, uh, kind of peaks and and troughs uh, like a sine wave of like this is really different and interesting or this is the same as everybody else is doing this is really different and interesting this is the same as it like if that stays the same and all the styles and trends change around it i think that that's really interesting as a as a marketing tool as like maybe the portfolio is is really a consistent driver of like always getting a baseline amount of work and your blog it kind of scoops up the rest of it because your sure. portfolio is static in time, no matter what trends come and go, uh, in terms of uh, special effects or perspectives or scenes or intimate tight shots, and and your blog right. kind of scoops up the rest as you try new things or not. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. it definitely does. I think the only risk you run is potentially 
new clients looking at that and saying that looks like an older photograph. I don't know if if he can, yeah, you know, do well, something more modern. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. Something more trendy. I, I don't have a lot, much at all. But but that's what I'm saying. Those trends are going to come and go. And if you modify your portfolio by one two percent a year, uh, I think it's enough to keep up with completely being removed from what's modern and uh, and and appealing to people. Mm-hmm. But also having like again, I have a light painting shot from 2012, and eventually that's going to be a thing again i'd imagine right now you don't see that very often i That's mean true. you kind of still see it but not nearly as much as you did like six years ago uh with the light trails and everything and, and yep. you know, wrapping around people and i wonder Sparklers. if having that in my portfolio people are are actually being more drawn to it now because it, it sticks out a little more than it used to or if if it's one of those that i should just get rid of uh, the one percent i don't know i i recently redid my whole portfolio, I guess about six months ago, and I just had to throw out a lot of stuff that was just, nope, don't like it anymore at all. I don't I, I don't think it's representative of what I do now. I don't want to see it. I don't want other clients to see it. I've got better images now, so I just removed them and added some new ones. And at the same time, updated a lot of those with some better processing, and now I feel a lot better that any person that comes to my site is going to see something you know, probably that they haven't seen before or hopefully haven't seen before, at least in, you know, in my service area. Yes. And I think I'm I'm particularly trying to really nail down my portfolio to to attract those clients that I think will will, you know, be engaged by that. And I think that's at the end of the day, you, you, you just have to be able to produce those photos that are in your portfolio or something similar. Yeah. Cause that's what clients see. I mean, I, I would hope that most clients are, are going for the portfolio and checking every image and, and scrutinizing it and wondering how, you know, how did he get this? Can, I wonder if my wedding's going to look similar. How can I make my wedding look like, Oh, like I really like this one photo. How can I make sure that my photo looks good? Just like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, clients are thinking about that. They're they're coming in and they're saying, "Oh, you've got this funny photo of a a bride, put you know with her veil and in, in front of the groom, and he's like laughing." I want to kind of recreate something like that, or you know, or whoa, you, the sky looks amazing. I I want to schedule my day around trying to get this shot. Some some clients do that. My thing is your portfolio should be wide and varied and having, I don't know, seeing some of these June bugs winners, they're, they're all, they're um, seriously amazing photos, but I wonder if people are going to think this is the only way to do engagement photos. I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. I'm honestly surprised that the, uh, the crazy beautiful landscapes and stuff are still, still, uh, clearly popular thing. I think that that peaked many years ago. It's like, yes, it's a mountain's top with amazing fog and double rainbows. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's beautiful. Oh my God. It's amazing. Yeah. How can I get a but, double rainbow on my engagement session? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, but I, having- I, I kind of disagree a bit. Like, I feel like a portfolio should be, um, a, pretty narrow uh, representation of like this is these these are um 
really stylized or unique in a way that I love. Uh, and then the blog is where you can have more breadth and, and, mm-hmm. and capture a lot more of the, the general audience. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that's not the best way to think about it. I'm not sure. But I've always felt like my portfolio should be turning away more people than it than it's impressing uh, sure. as, as a client filter. And the blog uh, is, is sort of scooping up the balance uh, to, to attract more. And so when you get people that like both, you, you have a really great fit. Yeah, um, when, you, when you get people that love your really narrow um, perspective. But maybe, yeah, but I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, and uh, I mean a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it, that is interesting. I think showing, but it, it's all—it's really all about showing what you want to be shooting, and that's—I think—that's sort of common knowledge now. Now, one thing we but, haven't uh, we haven't worked into this at all is personal work and how that should or shouldn't impact or play into y- what you show in a portfolio. And I, I was man, so I have ex- thought. Yeah, I've thought about that. I, I think about that all the time. I. When I recently redid my website, I was like, man. And and some people being like, nobody's going to care. No one's going to look at this. I feel like I I went through a period where it was like, okay, personal work is the most important thing for for my growth as a photographer. It's so important to not lose perspective and always do keep up with personal work. But actually, over the years, I have gotten to the point where I couldn't care less about doing personal work. I don't want yeah. to do any photography whatsoever unless I'm, I'm working for a client. And that's weird to me because I remember being the exact opposite. And yep. I don't know why other than just, I think I've just hit a certain volume of, of client work where like I appreciate taking a couple months off when I get it because I can kind of come back a little recharged. And if I'm working on personal work, you sure. might get some, some recharging out of that some new new perspective out of that but i actually think it's more valuable to not do personal work if you're working as a full-time professional and and concentrate your creative energy on other things when you're not working with paid work but i don't know but it's it's weird that i had that realization recently somebody was talking Mm -hmm. about the importance of personal work and i was like fuck that i'm not doing any (laughs) personal work i have twenty thousand photos to edit (laughs) like uh, yeah i think my personal work is really right now it's all just whenever i travel somewhere i'm shooting some personal stuff um yeah am i even blogging it not that much but I wonder um, if that's working against this because I used to blog my personal work a lot, and I wonder if that like makes people like you more, or or I wonder if Instagram Stories is actually maybe working its way into a, a thing because I a lot of my clients say they follow my Instagram Stories. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's giving enough yeah, insight into my personality, my personal day to day that you don't really need personal work, uh, and, you know, unless you're just not shooting enough at all that you, you have to keep. I don't know. I think, I think personal, there's a difference between having this idea of personal work versus, versus doing something with photography on the side. So for instance, you know, you could go around and shoot some street photos and throw it on your personal, um, personal portfolio or blog them or Instagram them or whatever. And that's all well and good and great. You've you, you've got some cool photos that doesn't necessarily do anything for your client base. But what if you say forget all that and come up with an art project around photography and and do it completely on the side, not for a client, just just for yourself? That I think is a lot more valuable yeah. than having because I don't know. I'm again, 
I'm looking at my personal portfolio, and I think I was talking with Abby about it, and she was like, uh, I think I, I included a bunch of photos in there. She's like, nobody's going to look at this. Nobody cares. If they are, they're photographers, not your clients. Mm-hmm. And that, and and I think, and there's not necessarily a reason to include them other than if you just want to have them up there, and so that you can sort of shoot other things as well. And and mm-hmm. I think I think that's cool. I still include it. It's it's on there. But so I'm looking at one of my favorite photographers, and I didn't know she would have this, except that I kind of had an inkling based on what, Sam Sam Blake. She's New York. Oh City yeah, Sam now. Blake's great. She has a specific personal. It's called personal portfolio, and they are essentially, like you said, these little like the first thing you see when you go to her site: personal portfolio, wedding portfolio, and that's it's that's really cool that she thought I, about that. I actually remember because I I was watching her speak one time at CPC a number of years ago, and she described a, a couple of these personal projects, and they really are little actual art projects um, mm-hmm. on the side. And I think that that is a lot more valuable than sort of shooting some travel photos like I do, and you know, and throw, throwing them on Instagram. And, and those are cool, and it's and it's awesome, especially to to just toss one or two on Instagram and 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 have something be cool. But to stretch yourself and do something different, and and have a a portfolio which is more like a little art portfolio on the side of your your wedding portfolios. I think that's really valuable. That that that's something that can teach you and can stretch you and can and can you can bring that those new understandings into your your wedding work. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Anyway, uh, we've gone a little long now. I think we've we've covered a vast array of topics that probably has some people really upset at us or some people <laughs> nodding nodding their head in agreement. We've gone from what is personal work important to. Uh, what we I can't even remember what we started to, talking about. We started talking about <laughs> movie June bugs and, and movie uh, pass <laughs> monthly subscriptions. We've covered uh, it all. Yeah, we've we've gone we've gone deep. We'll, we'll come back to it. And uh, I, I'm trying to think if we had any follow up from the the episode we recorded uh, previously. Uh, somebody did mention something. Uh, oh, they we were they were referring to um, Lightroom. They were think they were saying they don't think Lightroom Classics going away ever. Uh, says Lightroom. That, may be, Lightroom, that may be the case. Uh, you know, says Lightroom isn't their only software app that has a lot of bugs. Uh, and a lot. I guess they're trying to make the point that other Adobe products are in a similar state as Lightroom. But I don't know about that. I'm not sure that they have like a lightweight web app consumer friendly version of Premiere or After Effects or even Photoshop. They probably have a lightweight version of Photoshop, but I, I really think that Lightroom is going to go do. away. In the way Lightroom that we know CC, it. yeah, Lightroom Classic is a very strange Adobe product. It's it's fully featured. It's got its own little app. I mean, Adobe Bridge and Premiere and even Photoshop. It's just they're so humongous applications. And Lightroom is kind of its own little thing. I would really be surprised if they don't kill it off at some point, move it to the cloud. I mean, honestly, they should. I I would say they should combine it into one cloud-based, amazing solution. And that's got to be what they're doing. If if they're not doing that, then they're they're. It's then that's bad. I think that's what they're working toward. 
I'm, I'm actually going to open up Lightroom CC right now. And I am excited for the time in the day where your entire catalog is either, uh, you know, in the web, in the cloud, or on the desktop if you want it. I think that's, that's really cool. It's just they've got to get the actual workflows to overlap more with historical edits, profile support across yes. mobile and everything else. And uh, just, yeah. I, it's, but I love, I love that, I'm, for instance, I'm on my Windows machine right now, and I pulled up Adobe CC, and all my photos that are on my phone and yeah. on my it, they're all just all there and i can just pop, pop them up and i just edit all of them but you know I, I have a photo i'm editing right now and there's no history of the edits anywhere that i see like i need a a stream of edit history and i need snapshot ability and i need um just that that basic life of the photo edit like i i can't believe that that's not there hopefully that's coming I mean, and, it, it must be. And again, tone tone curve is is a is a major problem right now. I'm um, trying to find Well, the tone curve is the same. They they rolled that out. Yes. On phones? Yeah, on phones. I haven't seen that. Tone curve's there. But that's the other thing. The the tone curve it, it's like buried under a weird section of, Oh uh, no, oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's yeah, it's in there. Uh what, no, what was I Was it presets that I was talking about? Yes, presets. That's presets are was. not there. It's only Adobe presets. I actually don't even know how to get to the presets on the desktop version. Where the heck Adobe are presets? Standard. Right. Are develop profiles available for CC? No, nothing is. It's only Adobe st- or Adobe so, based profiles. I mean, yeah, so they've got work to do. A lot of work to do. Yeah, and that's not I a mean, develop problem. That's a that's an Adobe problem. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's what I mean. And Adobe uh, has a lot of work to do. Yeah, they, they I don't do. know what's going on. Is there really still no edit history? Maybe it's. They have an edit in Photoshop, show histogram, profile browser. Nope. Capture date, reverse right. order. Okay, so that's the only kind of follow-up from the conversation we had uh, last. I do think Lightroom CC or Lightroom Classic will go away as we know it eventually. I don't think it'll be anytime soon. I, I think, think it will be yeah, five, five years, years before, yeah, yeah it's gone. Uh, and, and by that point, maybe we'll be really excited to use Lightroom CC uh, if they make you know, it really is. They're only maybe three or four steps away from from having it be a, a real good Lightroom yeah. alternative, yeah. Lightroom Classic alternative. I mean, well, uh, I, I have to jump off. I'm about to sell my Sony A9, and just to answer a lot of questions, no, Sony is not capable of being a workhorse replacement for me, uh, mostly because of the flash situation, using bounce flash and and other things I'll talk about on other places. But uh, I am keeping the Sony A7 III selling the sony a9 because i don't need two sony cameras and they're great but just not quite there yet that was something i got a lot of crap about over the past few days so i just want to state that here and i don't want to elaborate more than that because we don't have time for another episode but all right well i'll check you next time thanks for tuning in see you later sam